they're commenting on things that they haven't themselves done. And so I think it is easy to follow a path of too many voices and too many people saying too many things, trying to be experts. And that wasn't necessarily the case. There was a lot less valuable information back in the day, but the couple sources of it, at least you could probably trust that they were valid and that they were giving you good advice versus today where you really have to separate the wheat from the chaff. This just might be another episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling. Thanks for joining me today. I'm doing a Rob solo adventure, and I'm going to be talking about four topics. The first is the benefits, even for software founders who want to start their own company, the benefits of working a day job. Second topic is bad habits I learned as a solopreneur. Then I'll talk about why the college dropout narrative is such annoying bullshit. And lastly, cover what would I do if I were starting over today? I get asked that question now and again, and I'd like to have you know a more or less definitive answer to share with you today. So my first topic is on the benefits of working a day job. So even if you're going to be a founder, you're going to start your own company, there are tremendous things that I have learned and I've seen other founders learn at day jobs, at full-time jobs. And frankly, ideally working at a startup, I think you can learn... Some good, but some bad habits at Fortune 5,000 companies, at large companies. The good habits often are process and structure, how to work with others, structure of the company. And really, you know, you think about how they hire and how they retain and how they train and how they evaluate. There's all this stuff that you can kind of pick up. But I also think you learn a lot of bad habits there about moving slowly and taking six months to ship something that should probably take a month and bureaucracy and politics and all these things that, that we don't like. So in a perfect world, I would honestly say, I think you get more benefit out of working for a startup. And this doesn't need to be a venture-backed startup. I mean, you know, how many thousands of, of bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped startups are there in the world that are hiring developers, designers, customer success, sales, whatever. And I think there's a tremendous amount that you can learn from having that day job. Now, do I wish that I'd never had a day job? Pretty much. I mean, I wished I'd started a company in college and that it had taken off, and we'll get to that in the third topic of today, and dropped out of college and you know never had to do the slog, the unhappy slog that I endured working day jobs. I didn't hate all my day jobs for sure. But the things that I took away from these jobs are things that I've... It's interesting when I see founders who have never had, quote unquote, a day job, and have never worked as a developer, designer, salesperson, customer success, whatever it is, at a startup or at a big company, there's a certain level of understanding of how businesses work and how they should be structured that I don't think, I know they miss out on. And again, I'm not saying you have to, but I do want to point out some pros of working a day job because I do think there are a lot of benefits. I think one, I mean, I've kind of run through a few of them, but it's like just general office communication and culture, like when to CC versus BCC, when to put multiple people in the two line of an email, how to run a meeting, how to use Slack properly. These are things that can be taught. And as you grow an org, you yourself should have basics, the basics of this in some type of employee handbook where someone brand new coming out of college or someone who's never had a day job, if they join your company, you should have a basic explanation of these things, you know, and they seem like common sense, but they're not. Because when you first start out, you just don't know. Other things I learned were how to use 
basic like technology tools. I mean, straight out of college, I worked construction for two years, and then I got a job as a developer. And that was when I learned to use tools that are now antiquated. But I really, I learned email, and I learned basic design skills, and just a lot of stuff that today would be Google Drive, and Dropbox, and Notion, Airtable, and Trello. If you haven't worked at a company, it's oftentimes you just won't be exposed to these tools. And it's not that they're that hard to learn, but there is a, I'll say, a ramping up, you know, or a learning curve. And if you go out and start your own company, you don't know these tools exist, right? Obviously, Drive and Dropbox, but like maybe you've never heard of Notion or Airtable because you just weren't in those conversations. And that can make your, your founder journey, your startup journey, a little more difficult. Some other things that I learned were how to structure teams, like how they should, you know, whether it's all developers on a team or a developer paired with a UX person, a designer, a product person in these little pods. Just job titles in general, like why we shouldn't make up our own job titles. And there's a bunch of reasons for this. Probably not going to go into them here uh, in the interest of time, but making up your own job titles is a mistake. And that's something I think you'll learn if, if you work for a company. How to hire. Like I was involved in the hiring process even before I started a single company, probably 30 different in 30 different hires, which means I literally did hundreds of interviews. I used to do the initial phone screen. We were at a, a credit card company and I would do the first like 10 or 15 minute phone screen just to make sure someone was reasonable and, and should be brought in for an in-person interview. This is when we, we had an office in Los Angeles. So just learning that hiring process and being part of it and learning how to evaluate people and then making a thumbs up, thumbs down decision. That was a skill that I had to learn. It was not there from the start. And when I became an entrepreneur, it was really nice to have that skill. Firing is another one. You know, if you do get into supervision or management, you learn when you should fire and you learn how to fire. I think leading, managing, these, these are all, I, I could keep going for a while, but the bottom line is, I think if you are working a day job or you are a freelancer right now and, you know, perhaps you don't want to be and you want to have product income, I would say absolutely go for that. Is it better on this side? Is it better on the other side when you're an entrepreneur and a founder and you, you know, are basically calling your own shots and, and fulfilling your own destiny? In my opinion, it is. Like, I would never go back. But I also think that you should... Do what you can to learn about companies while you have the chance. Like, look at the silver lining of your situation. Even if you don't love that day job and you want to escape it, there's so much that can be learned by working for an organization. The second topic I want to cover are some bad habits that I learned as a solopreneur. So, I read the four hour work week in 2007 and I was already trying to be a startup founder and entrepreneur. And in fact, there was an email artifact that I read here on the show 50, 70 episodes ago. You can actually search for email artifact from 15 years ago, I think was the, the episode title. And I was talking in there about just how early and nascent things were 15, 20 years ago. And when I read the 4-Hour Work Week, it made me realize, oh my gosh, I had this realization of like, I should go hire VAs. And I was still doing email support because I had a product that was working when it came out. I believe the 4-Hour Work Week came out in 2007 and I already had .NET Invoice. And I was doing all the work myself. And in the 4-Hour Workweek, the big lesson I took away from it is delegation, right? And I did appreciate that lesson because I didn't realize that I could hire people for so cheap. And so I was imagining trying to hire someone in the U.S. to do support on this little product I had that was doing three grand a month, right? It just wouldn't have made sense. But to hire someone part-time overseas who could do it was incredible. And so there are a bunch of benefits that I learned from being a solopreneur, for sure. It was learning everything and doing everything on my own. But one of the big drawbacks for me is I really got stuck with the idea that you should hire task level thinkers. And it trained me poorly to scale. 
it trained me that looking for cheap resources, whether it's junior people or whether it's folks that are overseas, was the way to go. And that was the scrappy bootstrapper thing to do. And I think in the early, early, early days, it it was. When I had my first $1,000, $2,000 of income, it was. But I then didn't make that transition to realizing, you know what, I should spend more and I should hire project-level thinkers, owner-level thinkers. It took me a decade at least to make that decision. And I've talked about it here, you know, here on the show that one of the hard parts uh, of running Drip in the early days is that we were cash-strapped. And so I hired all junior people and we trained them up. And many of them were project-level thinkers. I mean, they were great, great people. And they were good at their jobs, but it definitely, that frugality seemed clever to me at the time. And for a while it was, but it was a bad habit that I had to unlearn once I was growing a company that was, you know, that was growing at a a pretty strong clip. And the other side of that is, you know, I learned the ability to delegate as a solopreneur, but I kept that idea in my head that I was always responsible for everything that it all came back to me that in essence, I was the owner level and the project level thinker. And I think learning earlier that I could hire folks who could handle larger projects would have made my entrepreneurial career a little easier. And while I was running these small, amazingly profitable lifestyle businesses, it was great. And it was a skill set. You know, I could bring people on. They did tasks, kept them very profitable because it was just contractors. But the moment that I did want to grow that team and hire full time, I was not as prepared for it as I would have liked. And it took me a while to make that transition from more of the lifestyle bootstrapper to the ambitious growth-oriented bootstrapper. And it, it's different skill sets. And I think that a lot of the things, I actually believe Dan and Ian talked about this on the Tropical MBA last few months about how what made them super scrappy and clever in the early days actually was an anti-pattern that it became detrimental to them down the line. And I guess that's really what I'm saying here today. My third topic is about why the college dropout narrative is annoying bullshit. So here, here's what I'm talking about. I read a headline the other day that said, the newest billionaire in China is a 23-year-old college dropout. And it's, it's a headline and it's clickbait and it just doesn't mean what it used to. I think in the 50s or the 60s, if you're going to college and you dropped out, yeah, it was a huge deal. Like, what are they going to do? They're going to be an alcoholic and they're going to just travel Europe and do nothing and waste their lives. Today, it's not the case. You're not dropping out because you couldn't hack it. You're dropping out because you built a business that's taking off like a rocket ship and you can always come back to college or you can start another company or you can get a job with the the skills that you're building. So I just, I I don't know, it's more of a rant than anything of every time I see this now of like, so-and-so's a college dropout. And it's like, you know, if I'd built a great business, I would have dropped out of college too. And then I would have gone back if it wasn't successful. The downside of this is just so low that using this phrase, I feel, is, is disingenuous. And in fact, I would attest that if you start a business and it takes off and you are in college and you're making a full-time income or more, if, if my sons, either of my sons did that, I would say, drop out of college, man. Stop, stop going to college and follow this, right? Follow this path. Like this, You might have lightning in a bottle here. I mean, most people start multiple businesses in their lives. Most entrepreneurs start multiple businesses. And it's like right at the time when you're getting enough confidence as you're in college, to kind of risk it on your own and your parents are no longer forcing you to go to school. You know, I I don't see what other alternative you would have. I I do. The other alternative is to let the business flounder or be part-time or whatever as you continue to go to college. But there's a whole other conversation about the worth of college and how the value, the, the cost in the U.S. compared to the actual value it gives is not at all what it used to be. And my wife and I have had this conversation with our boys about, 
you know, there is college money if you want to go to college. And I think there, there are developmental reasons to do that. But also, if you decided instead you wanted to start a company, we will angel invest in you. Like we will make sure that you can do this if this is something you're passionate about and you have some traction and you've shown validation. I don't see why we wouldn't encourage that. And I think college is now one of many paths that can get you where you want to go because the world the world's changing and the old, old scripts are, uh, I would say, much less valid than they used to be. This week's sponsor is Kelsis. Kelsis provides engineering teams for startup success and they stick with their clients for the long term. Kelsis has worked with clients through nine acquisitions, and every time their work has passed due diligence and security audits by big audit firms and public companies. Working with Kelsis starts with a half-hour walkthrough call where you tell them about your startup, and after that, they usually begin a three-week fixed-bid discovery project. Go to kelsis.com slash startup to schedule your walkthrough call. That's K-E-L-S-U-S dot com slash startup. My fourth and final topic for this episode is what would I do if I were starting over today? And this is a question that I often get, right? If I'm on a podcast or I'm I'm doing an in-person talk, I talk about the recent successes or whatever and and someone will ask that like you're starting, you know, you're you're 21 and you're starting over today, what would you do differently? Sometimes I think it's asked kind of in a trolling way of like, well, you're successful, but you know, we can't relate to that, right? I can't relate to that because I'm not successful yet. And I would say, yeah, mostly because you haven't put in the work is, is probably my assessment of folks who ask it in that tone. But I do think there are a lot of folks who are genuinely asking like, how should I think about, I think the question should probably just be rephrased of like, what should I do? I'm a 22 year old about to graduate from college, or I'm a 19 year old and I want to start companies. Like, what should I do? I actually think that's just a better question. Because what would I do if I were starting over today? Oh, I do want to point out that this is different than if you were to ask me, if you were going to start your next SaaS, Rob, what would you do, right? Because I have a whole mental framework of, I don't plan to ever start a SaaS, but if I did, there'd be a bunch of stuff I would do. And it's not what I would recommend if you're a 20-year-old, a 25-year-old. Really, age doesn't matter. It's really, I'd say, an inexperienced startup founder who wants to make it, right? Who wants to launch a product and support themselves full time or maybe have a multi-million dollar business and bootstrap or mostly bootstrap this thing. So when I think about it, I, I mean, I really think about a couple options and it's within the stair-step approach. Like what I did was the stair-step approach. And one key of this is I worked my ass off, right? And I think a lot of bootstrap founders do who become successful. You don't have to work that hard forever, but in the early days, you're probably going to be doing nights and weekends uh, unless you have a, a, a really nice arrangement. I, I wasn't lucky enough to have that. And I think that's just something it's going to take, right? It's going to require working hard. And I love the framework of the stair-step approach to bootstrapping because I have seen so many founders do it, and it's a nice, predictable on-ramp into kind of working your way up. So I'll go through these two options. Option one is something that I did, I've seen others do, but most people don't want to do it. And they think of reasons not to do it, and some of those might be valid, and sometimes I think they're excuses, but it's to save up money. It's to work a day job, save up money, and buy something. Buy something on sideprojects.com, 1kprojects.com, microacquire, buy it from Quiet Light, FE International, and frankly, learn marketing from that project. Whether you're, you know, ideally, if you bought something with existing traction, you could see what marketing purchase had already worked, you could double down on those and grow it. Most people don't want to do this because they want creativity or they, they don't want to inherit someone else's code base or what if I get ripped off? You know, there's all these thoughts, but frankly, buying something saves you six, 12, 18 months, depending 
of time building and trying to find product market fit. And so if you're able to, I mean, you know, to be honest, what I did is I was working a day job and then I was consulting nights and weekends. And I, when I started out, I was billing like $75 an hour for the consulting. And then it was 100 and then it was 125 And as it went up, I got a stockpile of $10,000, $11,000 in what I called the business account. And Sherry and I talked about it. And I said, I want to use this to like grow a business, you know? And whether that means to go full-time consulting eventually or to buy software products, I didn't really know. I mean, I had never heard of anyone acquiring, like doing these small acquisitions. And so we agreed that the stuff that came, the income that came from my day job went to the personal account as well as hers. And then anything that I did on the side, I could use to quote unquote grow the business. And what I eventually did was I dropped $11,000 on .NET invoice and that had enough traction. There was some SEO. I believe there was some AdWords going on. I don't remember all the approaches at the start, but I learned some stuff from what those guys were doing about what was working and what wasn't. And there were already customers and I tripled the price because you should always raise your prices, right? And you know, the re- I told the story over and over, so I, I'm not going to go into it here. But it was a really interesting option. And yes, it took time to find it, and it, that one kind of stumbled in my lap. But then I wound up acquiring, depending on how you count, 20, 25 more small businesses, small online businesses over the next several years. And some of those were content sites and just barely making, let's say, hundreds of dollars a month from AdSense. And others were full-blown e-commerce site, SaaS products. Ebooks, downloadable software, and I did it many times, and I would rehab them. Basically, I was a value buyer, and I would rehab them, and the profit that came off of those allowed me to quit my full-time day job. So, it is an interesting approach if it's something you know you want to consider. And then option two is to build an app for an app store. I'm defining app store as you know not just iOS app store, but the Shopify store, the Salesforce ecosystem, the you know HubSpot has one, Zendesk, Help Scout, GitHub, Heroku, Atlassian, AWS, Magento, WordPress, Squarespace. Like I could go on and on. And in fact, over at RocketGems.com, an indie hacker and fan of the stair step approach named Rami put together a essentially an essay called "68 B2B SaaS Marketplaces with Opportunities for Indie Hackers." And that's probably what I would do because this is the step one of that stair-step approach, right? It's that you learn that all you need to know is how to rank in that app store. And as long as there's enough traffic for it, they handle all the marketing. The distribution is done. You don't need to think about... One of the hard parts that we see with a lot of tiny seed and with a lot of microconf companies is they have a good product and they're trying to find product market fit, but they just don't know how to market, right? And they don't know what to try next. They don't know what to do next. And so... With this approach, if you can get in and you know get that essentially that free traffic from the app store, now it's not free because you're probably paying them 10, 20, 30 percent of your revenue depending on the app store, but it makes things a lot simpler. And I, I think as a permanent solution, like if I wanted to build a multi-million dollar SaaS company, I wouldn't do this. But this to me is that step one. If I were starting over today, I would use one of these app stores. They didn't exist when I was starting out, right? I, I am envious of folks today who are starting today because they have this benefit. And in fact, I'm going to go through some pros and cons of starting companies today versus, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago. Because oftentimes, if we get on to me and another old timer are waxing poetic on the podcast, we say things like, man, remember how easy SEO was 15 years ago? You could just do this and that. And so it sounds like it was all sunshine and roses. But in fact, it was very much not so. So I have I actually have more benefits of starting today than I do the negatives, I'm more pros than the cons of, of starting today. So one of the benefits is that labor is cheaper now than when I started. Really in 2000, 
two to three, which is when I started launching my first thing, there was no, there was no Upwork and there really was no hiring internationally by an individual like that. It just didn't exist. And the first time I ever heard about it was Tim Ferriss talking about it. And it sounded like that it existed. People had kind of known about it for a year or two. Now, bigger companies had done the offshoring thing, but an individual hiring another individual in another country, there was no Skype. There was no way to communicate with them except email. There was no, like, how would you pay them? I mean, there were just so many complexities that don't exist today. So not only are, are those things better today, but frankly, labor is just cheaper. It's a global economy. And that wasn't something that, that we could do back in 2005, 2010. The second benefit of today is there is so much more specific tactical information available about how to start startups. You know, you think of pre this podcast, pre microconf, pre whatever, wherever you go for your resources today, they probably didn't exist 15 years ago. And so I was very much in the dark. And in fact, the way I learned marketing was I read a bunch of internet marketing books, which, you know, it was like info marketing. And even the old school folks who used to write actual physical sales letters in the 90s, like Dan Kennedy and I don't even remember it, Joe Polish, I think. And I gotta be honest, a bunch of their stuff was I'm pretty judgy about it. Like it was it did not fit my style. It was way hard selling and they they their products were not great. I don't think like they were selling info products really overpriced. I don't think that they were a lot of them were fair or ethical. 100% ethical. I'm not calling out those two names in particular, but just that space was known to be pretty crappy. But I didn't have to take that away from it. A lot of their tactics and a lot of their thinking was actually pretty accurate about how to market and how to sell and how to write copy and how to write an ad and how to give someone some some time pressure to buy. And you know, there was there was all types of stuff. So that's how I learned it. And I would just go buy books and, and read through it because there just wasn't anything online like you can get today with there's remote events, there's in-person events, there's articles on the Reddit SaaS forum and the entrepreneurship forum on Reddit. Stack Exchange, Stack Overflow, like these things are amazing. So there's so much more specific tactical information available today than there was 10 or 15 years ago. In addition, there are more marketing options available today. When I look back at the list that was possible back then, it was just a handful. I mean, I'm not going to name them all, right? But it was like there was, you could do cold outreach, you could do SEO, you could do, I mean, pay-per-click ads kind of became available around there. And then there was display ads and that was kind of it because there weren't social networks. Oh, and I guess Hacker News came around that time and there was Dig. I mean, these were literally like the five or six things that I knew about. There were obviously in-person events and there was cold calling and other things. But for someone bootstrapping a company, you didn't have access to those more expensive things. And so the, the number of options available today with all the social media groups, these places where entrepreneurs and your potential customers hang out, all the ad networks, there, there just is a lot more online you can do today. And you know, while some of the AdWords and, and Facebook ads, they, they are expensive and they get more expensive over time, I still think there is, are so many more ways to reach people today online than there were 10 or 15 years ago. The next benefit of today is that these app stores that I already talked about are just an amazing opportunity. I think that kind of goes without saying, or, or I guess I've already said it in this episode, but I think that that today is where I would be going. In addition, there are more things available to buy. There's actually a thriving ecosystem with the brokers and you know the marketplaces that, that didn't really exist. And I think that's a nice opportunity, as, as you heard in, in option one. I think another pro is that if you build something, if you build a SaaS app that's even doing, let's say, five grand a month in MRR, it's sellable today at a really good multiple. And the, back when I was buying stuff, 
you would sell it for 12 to 18 months net profit. It was just brutal. And while that is good when you're acquiring, it's really tough if you work your butt off and you build a SaaS company to 5K a month, 60K a year, and you can sell it for, let's just say it's almost all profit, right? But you sell it for 60 to 90K, there just isn't a ton of value. So you just have to build up these cash flow, kind of cash flowing businesses versus today, if you, let's say you build, you know, a SaaS to 5K a month, and again, let's just, for easy math, let's assume it's 100% profit, 60K a year, and you sell it a 5X profit multiple. So you're, selling, you're getting $300,000 for building this SaaS company. And it's long-term cap gains if you hold it for, you know, for longer than a year, although that's not tax advice. That's just amazing. It's an amazing nest egg and an amazing you know, way to basically angel invest your way into your next company. The last couple pros of building today, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them, right? But in the interest of time, one is there's more communities. Microconf, Indie Hackers, Dynamite Circle, E-Commerce Fuel, Rhodium Weekend. Like There are so many amazing groups of people who are helping one another and going back to the tactical information being available. A lot of that is coming from these communities where people learn and are sharing it with one another to make a name for themselves, but also to help other founders. And that isn't something that existed. I mean, in 2000. Five, the only, the only two bloggers that I knew that were talking anything about this were Paul Graham and Joel Spolsky. I started blogging about it in 05, 06, and the only other people that I can remember in the next few years, it was Peldi Gilzoni from Balsamic and Patrick McKenzie. And so and there might be, there was a business to software forms around. Anyway, there wasn't very much. <laughs> and now you just, you couldn't name them all. And I could name everything that was available at that time, you know, in less than 60 seconds. And today it's like we have this, this embarrassment of riches that I think is beneficial. And I think these communities are great for not only the information, but it's for the accountability, for the ability to say, oh, I see other people can do this. Like if they can do it, I can as well. And the last pro I will throw out today is there's just more tooling, right? There's just better tooling today to build SaaS companies or to build startups. There's Rails and Django and a bunch of new platforms that I'm forgetting. And there's Hotjar and Mixpanel and there's AWS and there's no code and there's low code. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot more. You can do a lot more faster today than you could 10 or 15 years ago. Now let's look at a, a few cons. Ad networks are more expensive. So Google Ads... 10 years ago were cheaper. And the advice I would say here in terms of ad networks is like if you look for newer ad networks, they usually start off with cheaper clicks and then over time they become more expensive. So that'd be the, the thinking that I would, I would have there. The second con is this is more competition across the board. There's more SaaS being launched. It's an amazing business model and it's amazingly lucrative and a lot of folks want to do it. So there is more competition in more niches. That means there's more competition in SEO and the marketing approaches and more competition for the same customers. And that does, um, I think, make that specific piece harder. I think a third thing is that things are moving so quickly, they change so quickly that I think, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I feel like you could have kind of an autopilot business more realistically 10 or 15 years ago than you could today. Because I think given all that competition, so much is happening, so much is being developed so fast, new features and all of that. I, I, I think that there's a lot more happening in a shorter period of time. And I think that means that you have to stay moving, you know, or else, or else you get caught. And I, I think most people listening to this podcast are probably not looking to autopilot their business, but I do think that with things moving faster, you know, it's kind of more churn and just more competition. And lastly, there's a lot more distraction today. Whether it's social media or just a lot of people, I'd say 
claiming to be successful entrepreneurs, or at least maybe they're not even claiming, they're just commenting on how you should start a company when they've kind of never done it, right? Or they're commenting on things that they haven't themselves done. And so I think it is easy to follow a path of too many voices and too many people saying too many things, trying to be experts. And that wasn't necessarily the case. There was a lot less valuable information back in the day, but the couple sources of it, at least you could probably trust that they were valid and that they were giving you good advice versus today where you really have to separate the wheat from the chaff. I want to leave you with this idea that it kind of doesn't matter if it was harder or if it was easier 10 years ago or 15 years ago. The bottom line is it just doesn't actually matter that much because if you do want to start a business and want to be an entrepreneur, then you don't have a choice. You don't have a time machine, right? You can't go back 10 years. It doesn't really matter if it was easier or harder. And I would say seize the day. Like this, this is why I've done 600 plus episodes of this show. It's because I love seeing new entrepreneurs get started. I love seeing existing entrepreneurs start new companies. And I love seeing folks able to find their freedom and find that amazing purpose and, and have these healthy relationships. And that's what, to me, bootstrapping is about, right? It's about this great equalizer that allows all of us, not just those who can seek venture capital or who can used to be moved to the Bay Area, frankly, to, to raise venture, but it allows any of us to start a business that provides for us, provides for those, uh, you know, those closest to us. And all the while being ambitious with our business, but also balancing that with our life and our family and our lifestyle. So those were my four topics for today. The benefit of working a day job, bad habits I learned as a solopreneur, the college dropout narrative and how I just don't love it. And what would I do if I were starting over today? Thanks for joining me again this week, signing off from episode 610. I'll be back in your ears next Tuesday morning.